0: Welcome to Higher State of Being, our bi-monthly podcast about how you can
1: live your best life. I'm Kat Cogren, and I'm Teddy Rockland, certified clinical hypnotherapist and registered psychotherapist. Together, we're going to explore topics that we all care about, like how to improve sleep, how to reduce anxiety, and how to have healthier relationships. We will be inviting expert guests to share their professional knowledge on each of these fascinating topics and so much more. At the end of each episode, we'll post a guided meditation so that you can reinforce the techniques and strategies that we've discussed. Each podcast,
0: together with the associated guided meditation, will help you live your life more fully and reach a higher state of being. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Today's topic is going to be a lot of fun, but before we get into emotional triggers and the scarf model, I want to say hello to my lovely
1: co-host, Teddy. How are you today? Hello. I am very well. I am particularly excited about this episode.
0: I know you are, and with no further ado, I'm going to let you introduce our special guest today because she is special to you in more ways than just
1: one. I would like to introduce uh, unequivocally the greatest teacher of my lifetime, Danielle (laughs) Rocklin. Awesome. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about what you do, do, Dan, and, and what it is you're going to be introducing here?
2: Of course. So I am a certified neurosculpting facilitator at the Neurosculpting Institute. Um, the foundation of uh, what I teach is uh, based in re- very basic neuroscience and how we can incorporate that very basic neuroscience into daily lives and our lifestyle um, for stress and trauma relief, as well as personal development and things like that. Um, and this topic in particular is pertaining largely to how the nervous system plays a role in effective communication. Yeah, this is this is really good. I'm excited
0: about this. Uh, so we're talking about emotional triggers and we're going to get to something called the scarf model, which is one of uh, Danny's expertise areas. But Teddy, why do we start with this? Why are we discussing this? You know, what is happening psychological? Give us a little Insight into to why we chose this
1: topic today. Sure, sure. Well, as Danielle is going to be getting into, there are some predictable things that will trigger um, emotional responses. Um, you could be in an absolutely fine mood, singing along with your radio, and someone cuts you off in traffic, and suddenly you're absolutely furious and have a trouble, have a hard time getting yourself back down to uh, down to level, <laughs> being reasonable. So, understanding what these particular social triggers are can help us not only uh, maintain our cool and be uh, the best version of ourselves, regardless of what's happening around us, but also can help us understand what's going on with the people around us, especially with what's happening with COVID. There's there's so much controversy and so much conflict that understanding how your behavior can set other people off too. I think it's really valuable and very timely.
0: Oh yes, yes indeed. I mean, I, I can think of several examples of that precisely. We'll get to those in a minute, but Danielle, give us a little,
2: I mean, even the word triggered gives you a little, uh, why, is Absolutely. You know, why, why is that? Why is that? When I hear the word trigger, specifically like an emotional trigger, um, the way I tend to articulate what we're talking about today is more of a, a social trigger, um, which certainly affects us at an emotional level. But for a lot of people, even myself included, you hear the word trigger and can kind of conjure up images of a sort of caricature of like a social justice warrior type. Um, And a lot of us don't feel like we identify with that caricature. So we think, oh, trigger doesn't apply to me. I'm not that sensitive or whatever that is. But it's not so much a matter of how sensitive you are or how kind of uppity you are. Um, These are the things on a a biological level which can trigger um, the stress response in the nervous system. And we all kind of have the same playbook as far as the nervous system goes.
0: Right, right. It's our it's our human species that is, is that more of a survival level. You know, we were talking earlier um, about this. So, kind of explain that a little bit from that physiological level. What, what, are, why do we think this is a threat to our very survival?
2: So we know that. Um, The stress response and the fight, flight, freeze response, which a lot of us are so familiar with that vocabulary, um, can be triggered by legitimate survival threats, like almost being hit by a car or something like that, which is completely appropriate and can also be more kind of inappropriately triggered by modern day stressors, like the printer isn't working, things like that. Um, What a lot of people don't realize should be taken into consideration on a social level is that those same fight, flight, freeze responses can be triggered by perceived social injustices. Hmm. Um, and I think that uh, the in-house psychologist here is, uh, is able to speak to why that is on a biological level, that we legitimately and rightfully, I would very much argue, perceive uh, social injustices, major or minor, as a survival threat. Well, Teddy, I
0: think
1: the ball's been tossed in your court. Just give <laughs> sure. us a little insight into uh, why these these uh, should we use a different word than triggers? Or are we good? We'll just, let's just I'm go fine. Now. Yeah, triggers. Okay. Yeah, triggers. is Completely fine. Cool. I don't. I don't want to set any of our listeners off with using this word. Um, things being perceived as a survival threat. That, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, there's nothing that the subconscious mind wants more. Then familiarity, expectation. We don't like surprises, um, maybe on our birthdays. But other than that, we don't like something coming out of left field we weren't expecting. So our brains are these prediction machines. And we have these uh, expectations of this is how you're going to be treated. But then when you're not, it triggers you with this sense of fairness or justice where you have this expectation of we said we were going to start at eleven forty-five and it's twelve fifteen and you haven't called me. So these things affect our ability to predict what is going to be coming up in the future. And when we can't predict the future, um, some people learn to go with the flow, but most of us, most of the time feel a sense of anxiety because anxiety is really when you're trying to predict the future and you can't. So when someone calls into sharp relief The fact that you can't predict the future and you don't know what's going to happen and you might not be as safe in your quote unquote little predictable world as you thought that you were, it can really send people off on a spiral. It can send Mm -hmm. people off in kind of a, in in some ways, emotionally or mental or physically unstable place because we want our feet on the ground. We want to know what direction we're looking and what's coming up on the road ahead, especially if you've been investing in that. You've been making career choices or you've been making relationship choices or, or educational choices, and then all of a sudden, wait a minute, what? That credit isn't going to transfer. Oh, wait a minute, what? He was making out with my friend. Hey, wait a minute, what? And it, it causes you to feel unsafe, um, unstable. Um, and in some cases, it can cause you to feel like, a, like you're outcast. Like you thought that you knew where you fit in, but you don't know where you fit in and not a whole lot hits our little caveman brain more than the fear of being outcast.
0: You just said the caveman brain. Let's back that up and unpack that just a little bit. Why is it a threat to our social survival in this instance? Why do we perceive it as such a threat?
1: Um, Basically, if you think about it from the point of view of, of our, ancestors, we still have very much that same nervous system. So if you think about what it would be like for our ancestors, if you were ousted, uh, kicked out of the clan, tribe, your social group, you were going to starve to death, freeze to death, or get eaten by a wild animal probably within the next 72 hours, depending on how fast you could run or if you were good with a club. Um, it just, you, we, we're social animals. Our nervous system is designed to help support this, uh, this need or this concept of being together with a group. And if you aren't accepted by the group, it still feels threatening. Think about any middle school. Um, you have your, your clique of friends, and, and one of the mean girls starts saying really ugly things about you, and people believe it, and suddenly you're sitting alone in the cafeteria and feeling incredibly vulnerable. It doesn't matter that there's no saber tooth tigers in the room, except for that one particular mean girl. Um, <laughs> it feels very, very threatening, and you don't right. quite feel safe again until you get back in with that group or until another group accepts you. So that, that caveman need. To be accepted is still very much part of our our, our wiring neurological reality yeah. now
0: yeah so there are there are normal triggers like getting cut off in traffic um you know someone showing up late for a meeting you know the printer not working it those there's like <clears throat> you know, kind of set us off a little bit, but for the most part, we can kind of get past them, but then there are extreme triggers. Would either one of you like to give a couple of examples of like extreme triggers and, and why they can cause such, you know, problems within communication and relationships. Danielle, you got a idea on that? I'll kick it to you first.
2: Um, so a lot of the extreme triggers that we can experience can be largely uh, a major political um, dysfunction or disagreements, which kind of bring us to this place of I don't even belong on this planet anymore. In some in some cases, <laughs> right, right, <laughs> or um, you know something something quite major, like a major life transition, because of. Some falling out in you know perhaps a divorce or or something along those lines, um, losing a job or something like that, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So whether it is a matter of your child talked back to you and you said it's time for bed versus the candidate you voted for didn't get into office or something like that, whether it's a a just kind of daily mundane trigger. Um, or whether it is an absolutely extreme thing, um, the nervous system is going to respond in the same way.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And then just the level of that kind of escalates how we deal with it. You know how it affects us. Do I feel more outcast, or do I feel my certainties being threatened? And and I think this might bring us to a really good spot in the conversation to really unpack what scarf stands for. Um, You guys ready to to
2: go through that with me? (laughs) Absolutely, awesome. So the scarf model is um, an acronym coined by Dr. David Rock at the NeuroLeadership Institute. It's an acronym that encompasses all of the perceivable social threats which trigger the limbic brain, the fight, flight, freeze center. Mm -hmm. Um, and that stress response in the nervous system equally to the magnitude of a survival threat. Um, So SCARF is that S-C-A-R-F, SCARF. And each letter, I'll I'll just kind of dig into them. So S, S is for status. So any perceived threat to your status, which is your place in the social world, your social standing. Um, that can be very flexible. You may be the parent at home, kind of the authority at home, but then at work, you're an employee. So it can be flexible. It doesn't need to be, this is my place in the world, kind of, how dare you? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but the expectable place and your generally accepted role mm-hmm. in your little world um is is that status so a a hit to your social status might look something like uh like we said before the the parent that's having trouble with the child drawing a fit because they don't want to you know go to bed or stop doing what they're doing a lot of times the, yeah. you know the parent can get very worked up and well, kind of, I'm the boss of you. So. Right. Yeah. The um, threat to the status of the parent, right? The kids absolutely. talking back, not doing what they're told. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where the, because I said so comes right. in. <laughs> um, other examples might be uh, being cheated on or broken up with. And you're like, I thought this was my place in the world though. Mm-hmm. Um, other things, uh, the example you gave earlier of a, a being cut off in traffic and the expression is "This is my spot." You know, you may just be a few right. feet behind, but the issue isn't you're a few feet further back. It's this was my place, and mm-hmm. you have no business here. <laughs> um, so that, and anything like, um, but when your grades would drop or a coach benched you, things like that um, are all perceivable social threats, and, and a lot of people experience this. This is kind of a heavy hitter. Of the scarf model in a lot of ways, um, a lot of people too will will um, even looking in the mirror and, and seeing like a new wrinkle or something. Oh uh, well, <laughs> there goes all my <laughs> self esteem because of this one wrinkle. Obviously, that's not actually the case, but it's a threat to our social status, or it can gotcha. be perceived that mm-hmm. way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um, so c-, c. What's what C stand yes. for? C is for certainty. Um, so. As, a, as we already said, the brain is a prediction machine. The brain registers familiarity, predictability as safety, um, even to the point where we will feel more safe in a familiar situation, even if it's not safe, um, than, yeah. than an actual safe one. It's why um, victims of domestic abuse will very frequently go back because the brain deciphers or the brain registers familiarity and predictability as safety. So even if whatever's out those doors might be safer, I don't know what it is. So I'm going to go back to, at least I know what's going to happen. That predictability. Um, uh, Yeah, absolutely. So things like, even on very small levels, that's, that's one of those extreme examples, but even on small levels, like, um, You call on your way home from work and say, hey, honey, can you take the chicken out of the freezer for dinner? Then you get home and they didn't take it out. And then they don't understand why on earth you're so upset about chicken. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, nobody gets that upset about chicken. They're upset because I had this expectation Mm -hmm. and it wasn't met. And there's the added component of the social structure of I thought you were someone that I could depend on. Right. And obviously it's not, you know, truly that kind of a big deal, but it's a little threat to our brain of almost, almost a threat of isolation mm-hmm. if your certainty isn't hit. If uh, someone said they were going to pick you up and they forgot or they're 45 minutes late and now you have to kind of figure out, well, what's happening with the rest of the night now or, or something like that. Canceled plans. Those are all just little examples. Um But So like would a big example be let's say
0: getting laid off. You know, my certainty of having a job and a paycheck is now suddenly I'm extremely threatened because I got laid mm -hmm. off.
2: And that would be a really big example, an extreme example of that. Absolutely. That's a that's a perfect extreme example because so many things are threatened if you don't know where resources are coming Mm -hmm. from or what the future is going to look like i used to think that certainty was not a major one for me back in the early years when i was teaching this i was like yeah certainties i seem to be pretty good with that then i ended up um, in the hospital because my nervous system fried so much Um, obviously there were pre-existing conditions but my nervous system fried so much after a major life transition where I was like, I have no idea what the future looks like now. Um, I ended up having a stroke. Um, and obviously there were, there were medical underlying conditions, but the kind of trigger point for the activation of that stroke and hospitalization, um, was the stress response to I don't know what the future looks like now and I don't know how to have control over my life. Right. So it's, it's, it's quite major for a lot of people. Yeah. The triggers can really be extreme into health,
0: health issues as well. Mm -hmm. So a let's move to the a, what does
2: that one stand for? So a is for autonomy. Um, Autonomy being our perception that we have control over our own selves and our own life. So this could look something like um, this is actually where a lot of the tension in that parenting example that we've touched on a few times comes from. So the child is talking back or throwing a temper tantrum because, you know, go to bed. Um, the parent is now struggling with their status being threatened and the child is struggling because their autonomy is being threatened. Um, they're being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Um which might be appropriate for children, but it's still it's still triggering, and that's that's where all that heated emotion can come from. Um, other examples of autonomy might be um, if you've ever had an elderly person, or a disabled person, or a disadvantaged person, like a homeless person, lash out at you for helping or trying to help. That mm-hmm. is because um, their autonomy is being threatened. If you've ever opened the door for someone in a wheelchair and, you know, they might say, I can do it myself. And they're like, I'm helping you. <laughs> um, that's where that reaction is coming from. Um, so again, this this could again be coach benching you or teacher, you know, giving too much homework or boss giving too much work. And now you have no control over what you feel like your life is going to look like um, until you do what someone else wants from you. It can also be if you are sick or if you're having legitimate like medical issues or pain in some way, that can certainly be a threat to the sense of control that you feel like you have over your own life and your own circumstances.
0: Yeah, your own body. And I can see probably um, intimate relationships struggling with this a little bit too. It's like, oh, I want to go do this, but I feel like I have to ask permission first or whether Mm -hmm. it's real or perceived, right? You know, that could be, is that autonomy as
2: well?
1: Yeah, of course. I would absolutely say so. Yeah, that's the negotiation of relationship. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, how about R? What do
2: we got for the R? R is for relatedness. So a lot of people confuse this with status, but it is slightly different. So relatedness is your validity in your social world. It's your place in the community. Not which place it is, but just that you have a place. Uh, Because as we talked about, there is that sense of safety and community. So this um, a threat to this relatedness might be on a minor level something like you say a joke and it completely fails and it's just kind of crickets. You feel very <laughs> awkward <laughs> that, and then you feel this like impending doom and like, okay, well, I'm just going to go home and cave in on myself. Um, even though it wasn't that big a deal, that is because your relatedness is, is threatened. Um, cause you're suddenly unsure if, if you're kind of welcome in your own group. Um, so uh, a more extreme example of relatedness are these, um, potentially like political or otherwise key to debates where, you know, the example that I kind of said of like, I don't think I belong on this planet. Right. right. Like humanity doesn't make any sense to me. And I, I can't wrap my head around being a part of um, this group, whether it is political or whether it is in a relationship or, or whatever that is. It's that sense of displacement. Mm Mm-hmm even within your own place. Right. Um, it could be something like um, finding out you're the only one not invited to something or um, just even growing apart from, from friends and family, things like that. That's that sense of relatedness being threatened.
1: It seems like this might be the core of social media like like Facebook, people just putting out these random posts saying, is it just me or does anybody else find the blah, blah, blah? And then they watch to see how many likes did I get? How many people commented? Mm-hmm. Is, it, is it just me or do other people see the world the way that I see it too? Okay. Are kind other of people we're talking relating.
0: about
2: with the relatability? I think absolutely. And, and I think it can also have something to do why people can get addicted to the mm-hmm. likes or they will create an entire kind of identity in some cases around their social media presence uh, because they get those little constant validations. And there are many other reasons that go into that, but it's certainly kind of a soothing validation um, to be kind of getting that feedback on a
1: constant basis. Okay, so status is more where do I fit in? And relatability is more, do I fit in? Is it? Absolutely. Is it okay. Absolutely. All right, cool. So then what was F? So F is our
2: last letter and it is fairness. Um, fairness, I mean, for me, I'm so oriented to fairness. I almost feel like it doesn't require any further explanation, but um, <laughs> different people are are triggered by these. Um, some people can be a little more sensitive to, uh, to them than others. Fairness is the perception that there is no injustice being done to you uh, by kind of the external world and by external actions. So a threat to fairness might be something like not being paid for something you were promised payment for. Um, it could be not being given a chance. Um, or an opportunity that you feel you've earned or you feel like you deserve. um, Those are, those are threats to
1: our
2: fairness. Absolutely.
1: And on a bigger scale, maybe like the Black Lives Matters
2: movement. Oh, of course. Oh, the Black Lives Matter movement is just triggered by every single one of these, (laughs) And fairness is absolutely an underlying component. Mm -hmm. I remember I was
1: probably, Early in my teen years, and I was complaining to my dad about something, I'm sure I thought that a teacher wasn't being fair to me, and I was complaining about something, and I remember my father looking me dead in the eyes, and he said, Teddy, whoever told you life was going to be fair? And I realized, (laughs) nobody. I just assumed that. I thought everybody assumed that, and it never had crossed my mind that that wasn't just how things are. So, I mean, it's for some people, it's just a fundamental Belief that gets shaken out, right? Well, and
0: yeah, who hasn't been told that life isn't fair? It's, you know that that's a common thing that we hear, but we think it should be. You know that's the that's the deal. It's like, well, why isn't it fair? I mean, that's at least what I thought when I was growing up and was was told that mm-hmm. many many times. Um, but then at the same time, you're like, well, life isn't fair. So how do we how do we navigate that and you just said something a minute ago, uh, Danielle, when you brought up the Black Lives Matters, and you're like, "That's the whole gamut that's fully scarfed, if you will <laughs> <fully right? scarfed>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's not a laughing matter, but it's also it's also a realization that I think we can come to is like these this level of angst and frustration, whether mm-hmm. it's right or wrong, justified or not is affecting the way we're communicating with each, with each other. It's affecting the way we even have discourse around our politics and around our lives and around our families. I, I just navigated a whole very stressful family-friend argument about wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And you know these are people that I love and they were mm-hmm. at each other because they had a different opinion on masks.
2: Sure. Yeah. And then your relatedness is triggered because you're like, I thought you were sensible people. Or right. <laughs> I thought I understood the way your brain worked. And apparently I don't. Apparently I'm alone in this. Right, right. So
0: so it's so helpful helpful for us to know that that this is I mean, I, I don't know, maybe syndrome is not quite the right word, but it is a <laughs> it is an issue that we have that we can then take control of. I think that one of the things that's so
1: wonderful about understanding the way the scarf model works. And thank you again, Danielle, for teaching this and being here today, because I think incredibly valuable Um, is you can recognize if you're, if you start grinding your teeth or if you're glaring at somebody, if your heart starts to race, or if you get kind of edgy, or if you're snippy, you can stop for a second and go, all right, what's getting triggered here. All right. Certainty. I thought I was going to be doing this myself, blah, 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 blah. and, And you can, It it is incredible mindfulness tool. I just find it incredibly valuable mindfulness tool. So I'm really excited that this is being offered.
0: So obviously this is a problem and it's uh, maybe syndrome is too strong of a word, but I feel like on little levels and on big societal levels, this is definitely an issue. What can we do about it, ladies? How can we De-escalate this and, and communicate better?
2: So I think there are several things we can do with this information. Um, on the one hand, we can look to ourselves and see why am I having such an emotional response to this. It can kind of lead to some more compassion for our, our own selves than we might otherwise have access to um, because we can understand why am I so upset about frozen chicken (laughs) Mm -hmm. um so that can that can help us process kind of these triggers um it can additionally we can pass that compassion on to others by understanding why is she so upset about frozen chicken um or um why is this you know political movement or any or disagreement, um, getting so emotional so quickly, Mm -hmm. um, where people feel like their lives are being threatened, even in situations where it's just like a, a social media disagreement, something like that. So, um, knowing, being able to look at a situation and know where is the intensity of the response, whether it's from us or whether it's from the other person or other kind of person, coming from, um, can help us have compassion and patience for ourselves or for that other group of people or person. Um, so it can help us navigate that way. Additionally, one of kind of a more tangible way that we can use the, uh, use this acronym is knowing that kind of surprisingly to me, if we are able to Identify which letter is being threatened by somebody else, or even within us, and we're then able to communicate that to the other person. um, Then we can address those needs and kind of navigate through these potential landmines in communication. Um, And kind of surprisingly, one of the things that works for that is to. Identify and then satisfy the potential threat. Um, it's a little surprising to me that pointing out you might be threatened like this um, kind of preemptively, but it, it seems to really be the case um, that addressing that need ahead of time, even if it's articulately and, and consciously, um, can really help deescalate a situation. So for an example, um, I'll, give, I'll give you two quick examples. so one. Of the examples that I tend to go to is if you are in line at the grocery store and you have one item and the person in front of you has two carts full for their big barbecue or whatever it is and you're in a giant rush if you just cut in front of them well that's a huge status hit Um, if you say something more along the lines of I know you are here first I acknowledge your status Um, or even I know this Isn't totally fair, acknowledging that fairness, but dot, 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 a lot of times the response can be very positive and not just you can kind of steer away from a negative response, but it's like, oh, you acknowledge that I have a place here. Of course you may share, you know, my resources because Mm -hmm. you acknowledge my place um like if somebody um gets in front of you in traffic but then waves at you it feels a lot better because <laughs> right. they acknowledge yeah, no, that absolutely. was a kindness right um so another example if we go back to the parenting child thing and that status versus autonomy struggle um a way to navigate that might be instead of turn the tv off go to bed and then full temper tantrum uh because of that autonomy hit because of that certainty hit is really what's happening there But if a parent, not that I'm one to be giving parenting advice, but just from a place of how to incorporate the scarf model into our daily interactions. If a parent is able to say, at the end of this episode, I want you to turn that off and come do the dishes instead of stop what you're doing. I don't care about what you want, come do what I want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But in five minutes, I want you to turn that off and come do this. And then be non-negotiable about that part. um, Kind of both needs get met. Right, um, so acknowledge being able to identify what might be threatened and then acknowledge and satisfy the threat can really nullify a trigger even sparking. Right. So one person needs
0: to have the conscious level consciousness level of being able to say, "Before I trigger you, I'm going to deescalate it." So it's like you know. Um, doing it in advance, if you will. Teddy, what are some other tricks that we can use to deal with our own, if we get triggered, right? So right. I'm going to consciously try to avoid triggering other people, mm-hmm. but flip it around. I've Something's happened to me, and as good as I am, as evolved in higher state of being as I want to be, we're all still going to have those moments. What are things that we can do to calm ourselves down?
1: Oh, as so frequently happens, what I want to do is ask you for an example of <laughs> yours and maybe how you handle it or how you wish you'd handle it differently with this information. Is that fair to just plop this back on your lap or do you want me to? Of course. What
0: else? Well, well,
1: here you go. That's how
0: it goes, right? Right. Um, all right. Meetings. I have a group of people that I love working with We're working on some amazing stuff, but they will not respect meeting times. To save their lives right and I I've asked say guys I need I need boundaries around meetings if we have a half-hour meeting I need to stick to it you know I've tried you know all this but they just never do and it just it makes me furious when I have to move my schedule back get everything gets all messed up just because they won't respect this meeting time so what would that be my certainty and my autonomy Right. And probably my status, too, because I feel like I have a certain status level uh, with this group that should be met. Um, And it gets me flustered. And, Teddy, you know, because I'm often late to meetings with you because of this. (laughs) Uh Uh So what I do is I usually vent in a safe space to you and let it go. But, you know, it would be nice just not to
1: get triggered in the first place. Um, But that's probably not going to happen. Well, and one of the ways that I would encourage you to approach this is you know who you're dealing with. I know if you and I have a 10 o'clock meeting, I want to be ready by 10, but if I don't see you till 1015, I wasn't really expecting it. So my certainty is not triggered. My autonomy is not triggered. I could show up later. You, you communicate well, but um, if you know what you're dealing with in advance, there are ways to mitigate the response to it. You know that these people are going to run over and take advantage of your time. So can you leave an extra 20 minutes at the end of it or say, I really hate to do this guys, but I need to be done by 1130. So if you're not done by 1130, someone take notes, I got to hang up. And then at 1130, you hang up. Thereby, you're creating your, your autonomy, your certainty, your status as an important person who's got important things to do. And you can't, just let things linger on. So where can you take control while being fair at the same time? Is this right, something right. That, you're, that you're able yeah. to do?
0: Yeah, and that's very, very good points. And I like that because there's the opposite trigger that's happening if, if mm-hmm. I don't, because they will be triggered thinking, well, she doesn't care about us, the, you know, she should just stick until right. we get the work done. Mm-hmm. So there's this two-way trigger going right. on here that we need to consciously deescalate in advance and then I need to ha- set some better boundaries it and sounds you, like what you're, you're telling them me.
1: at the beginning you bet your butt, they aren't doing it to their boss or their boss's boss's boss or probably their mother-in-law because these are people you don't want to piss off so there might be some testing like is it okay to do this they might not even realize that you know, in, in any relationship, there's going to be negotiation, there's going to be strategizing, and there's going to be figuring out, how do I work this? So well intentioned people who are probably everybody who's listening to our podcast, um, might do well to keep in mind that, yeah, the scarf can trigger you to anger or sadness or loneliness or all these things. But I think there's also a flip side to it. And Daniel, you would know better than I would, because you, you know, this is along your expertise. But I wonder, when you gave the example of you have one thing at the grocery store. The person in front of you has two carts full. By giving them the opportunity to be kind, they've got a whole nother status here. They related to somebody. They were kind to somebody. They got to do something nice they weren't expecting to do. And then they turn to the person behind them and they were like, mm-hmm, look at me. Wasn't that just a really nice person? So it might actually be able to create win-win situations and not just mitigate negative ones. But you might be able to create win-wins by being more aware of
2: this. Absolutely. It's, it's also a big reason this, the scarf model kind of incorporates into like why it feels good to give to charity um, or to do something kind for somebody because you are satisfying. Like you said, it might be satisfying some um, status piece.
1: Your example is really cool. Cause it sounds like it also hits relatability and fairness. You know, like I know things aren't fair, so I'm trying to even the scales.
2: Sure, sure, absolutely. So there there can absolutely uh, there can absolutely be positive hits to these pieces of this acronym um, mm-hmm. by kind of navigating the world like that. It's not just a matter of how do I avoid the negative, but you can absolutely know how to do a kindness for somebody else or how to contribute to somebody's security um, by addressing these needs, absolutely yeah
0: excellent so taking it and using the scarf model in a positive direction instead of just using it to analyze a negative response
2: right
0: I like that a lot I really do um you know and I, I just think of sometimes you know like when you're just like someone cuts you off in traffic and you're just like oh you know you shake and let out that growl and then you're okay right you just move on just having that little moment
2: to I don't know Shake the vegan nerve, right? <laughs> let that go. Vegas yeah, nerve rattling. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it might be it might be even something along the lines of if you're like me, um, sometimes you go out of your way to let somebody in because you know um it, it kind of is a sense of that relatability. Mm-hmm. I'm a part of a community, it can be your turn. I'm being I'm you know kind of doing this kindness um which is not where a lot of people end up taking this uh this acronym so it's a really great place to get to take that because most of the time we talk about this in the context of how to navigate potential landmines and so Mm -hmm. i i really appreciate looking at it at it from a place of i guess this higher state of being is essentially what you guys are bringing it back to
0: Exactly. It could be a
2: landmine or it can be a field of flowers. What do you want to make of it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I really like looking at it from that perspective as well. Yeah. And I, My brain is automatically thinking of ways I can use this to affect my relationships in a much posit- more positive way and even in the greater community. So, Danielle, thank you so much for, for sharing this with us um, and giving us these ideas to, to work with. All right, I'm going to wrap this up with two questions. Same question, I should say, to two very smart ladies in the room. Danielle, if you wanted to give us one closing thought on this topic, what would it be? What would you want to leave our listeners with?
2: I would want kind of a key takeaway to be, if you can enter into communication or social engagement in, in whatever capacity that is with these tools in mind, how can we navigate the world with more compassion for ourselves and for the people we don't understand? How can it bring us to a place of, how can we use these tools to navigate the world with compassion for both ourselves and for people we may not understand or people we thought we understood, but are now confused by?
0: Like it. Like it a lot. It's good. And as always, Teddy. Closing thoughts
1: from you? Closing thoughts, yeah. Um, I love the scarf model. I use it all the time now that I understand it. I share it with a lot of clients, a lot of friends. I think it's an incredibly valuable tool. Um, It it might be part of the training for the scarf model, uh, and I don't know. But it causes me to think about um, when you notice that you're triggered or when you notice that someone that you care about is triggered, coming, as I frequently encourage, to that initial thought Am I unsafe or am I insecure? Um, I'm triggered, I almost just got hit by a bus, holy crap, it's gonna take me a while to calm down. That was unsafe. And it can take a while to come down from that. But if it's more of an insecure thing, it's not to say it affects you less, but it does require a different response. So if it's unsafe, as we've discussed before, handle it immediately. And if it it triggers you to a feeling of insecurity, a quick evaluation of, yeah, I thought I did really well on that test and I only ended up getting like a C minus on that test, but both of my parents are okay. There's food in the refrigerator. I know how to get home from school. I remember I'm gonna look both ways. How can I create a feeling of security for myself, even though? this Mm -hmm. thing is going on. I have been the queen of punching printers. I would get so mad (laughs) at printers. Um, Unfortunately, I almost never have to do that anymore. Um, (laughs) But since there are other people in the office who didn't have that, I got really, really good at going to one of my coworkers and saying, "Um, I'm having trouble with the printer. Do you mind handling that? I'll go get you a cup of coffee. And they're like, oh my God, that's the best thing in the whole world because they get the status, they get to be the expert, they get to be the hero who handles things. And I don't have to work with the damn printer. Um, So how can I, I notice that I'm feeling triggered or sparked or agitated about something. Am I unsafe or do I just really not like this? And if I really don't like this, what can I do to mitigate the outcome and create as much of a win-win as possible for myself Mm -hmm. and the people around me? So that would be my closing thought. Excellent. Yeah. and And just
0: having more compassion. I like that a lot for others and their opinions and not letting that, you know, it's okay to have your opinion. It's okay to have my opinion and we can, we can all just work on making the world a better place together. Um, Great, great, great information for actually being able to make that happen. And I I challenge all of our listeners to really think about that and uh, take it on the small levels and on the big levels um, to the world. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us. This was a fascinating conversation. Uh, when we first, when Teddy said, let's talk about the scarf model, I'm like, what? But I love it. It's one of my most favorite tools in my tool bag now. So thank you for sharing it with us. Um, there's going to be information about Scarf. Uh, I think you've got a blog we can share. These will all be on the higherstateofbeing.com. Um, and ladies, it's been wonderful. I
2: thank you both very much. Thank you. Thank you, ladies, so much for having me on here
0: thank you for listening to Higher State of Being. We invite you to visit higherstateofbeing.com and become part of our community. Here you will find the guided meditations and resources to help you on your journey. Subscribe and get full access to all downloadable meditations, deeper resources, and much more. Visit higherstateofbeing.com.